Our scripture reading uh, this morning comes first from the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 11, following which we'll turn to Revelation 18, where we'll find our text for this morning's sermon. Jeremiah 25, beginning at verse 1, this is God's inspired and inerrant word. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the peoples of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, These 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to you, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds, and dwell on the land which the Lord your God has given you, and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Revelation chapter 18, verses 9 to 24 is our text. We'll read the first three verses and then move to uh, to verse 9 here in chapter 18. Revelation 18, first verses 1 through 3. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, And the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. 
Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed acts of morality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense, wine and olive oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city who was clothed in fine linen, and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, What city is like the great city. And they threw dust on their heads, and they were crying out, weeping and mourning and saying, Woe, woe, the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer, and no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer, and the sound of the mill will not be heard in you any longer, and the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all of the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who have been slain on the land. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. Let's pray together for the preaching 
and the hearing of God's Word. We look to you, O God, and to your Word, this revelation that you've given through the Apostle John, seeking to understand how this applies to us, how we are to respond to this, what our response ought to be to uh, this vision of revelation that you uh, gave to the Apostle John many, many centuries ago. We ask that by the help of the Holy Spirit, your word would be effective in our hearts, that we would understand and know uh, what your will is for us and how we ought to view things, what our perspective ought to be on the world in which we live. Bless its preaching now and its hearing through the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The sixth cycle of, uh, cycle, uh, of uh, vision, the sixth of seven cycles found in, uh, here in our text, uh, where we find ourselves in our text. Revelation 17 through uh, chapter 17 through 19 features the fall of the great harlot. Chapter 17 and verse 1, also called Babylon the Great, chapter 17, verse 5, and here in our text, or here in the chapter that we've read this morning, chapter 18 and verse 2. Remember that in chapter 16 and verse 19, Babylon is associated with the great city. And from Revelation 11 and verse 8, we know that the great city is Jerusalem. Since there it's identified as the city where the Lord was crucified. These clues, along with many others, identify Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, as apostate Israel, represented by the city of Jerusalem, which you will remember was the center of Israel's religious life. In chapter 17, verses 1 to 6, the mystery of the great harlot is presented uh, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of wrath presents to John in this vision uh, the, the, this picture of uh, Babylon, the, the great harlot, the great harlot Jerusalem. And then in 17 to 18 of chapter 17, uh, that angel interprets the, the mystery of Babylon, the great harlot. Uh, for John and for us in our day. Chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, describes the certainty of the great harlot Jerusalem's fall. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Today's text in verses 9, uh, 9 through 24 shows us that Jerusalem's fall was final. You heard that word, uh, not any longer, not any longer, not any longer. That phrase that, that is repeated here towards the end uh, of our text. 13 of 22 
chapters in Revelation. Thirteen chapters out of 22 chapters, more than half the book is devoted to Jerusalem's destruction. The seven seals and the seven trumpets in chapter 4 through 11 and the seven bulls in, uh, of wrath in chapters 15 and 16 describe the extent of uh, Jerusalem's judgment. And chapters 17 through 19 depict Jerusalem's downfall. Why such a large chunk of this book? Why would it be devoted? Over half the book devoted to the destruction of Jerusalem, to the fall of Jerusalem. Because the holy city of God, as Jerusalem is called, God's dwelling place, had committed adultery, had committed harlotry, Revelation tells us. The Old Testament scriptures tell us. And her ultimate act of infidelity to her God was rejecting her Messiah, Jesus Christ. Leading to the greatest redemptive act of history, the cross of Calvary. These chapters are designed to show us that rejecting Jesus Christ results in judgment and eternal destruction. Rejecting the Messiah Jesus, the one whom God has sent as the Savior of the world, has consequences. And those consequences are judgment unto eternal Destruction. Jerusalem's fall, our text teaches us, was an occasion for uh, both for great lament and rejoicing and was irrevocable. We'll look at two things this morning together as we consider this text. In the first place, reactions to Jerusalem's fall. And secondly, the finality of Jerusalem's fall. Reactions to Jerusalem's fall, the finality of Jerusalem's fall. In the first place, in verses 9 through 20, we find uh, reactions to Jerusalem's fall. And those reactions cover the full spectrum of human emotion, from mourning to rejoicing. Weeping and lamenting on the one hand, a great joy and rejoicing on the other hand. Three classes of people uh, lament rather over uh, Jerusalem's fall. The kings of earth, verses 9 and 10. The merchants of the land, verses 11 to 17, first part. Shipmasters, ship passengers and sailors, second part of 17 to uh, verse 19. This vision of the lament of kings, merchants, and seafarers is taken from Ezekiel's prophecy. If we've, as we've noted through, throughout the exposition of uh, this book, uh, 
Revelation is, is uh, Hebraic. It's rooted in the Old Testament scriptures, and we find either Old Testament quotations or allusions to the Old Testament here uh, so often in, in uh, the book of Revelation. And here it's taken, uh, this, this lament is taken from uh, the fall of Tyre, uh, a city, an ancient city, Ezekiel 26 through 28. And the particular form of the lament is from chapter 28 where the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah there offers up a lament for the great merchant city of Tyre. Now, we, we needn't suppose that Jerusalem was recognized for its commercial enterprise uh, as much as Tyre was recognized for its commercial enterprise. What's necessary is for the fall of that city to be a great blow to the kings, merchants, and sea carriers. And that certainly happened, history tells us. Jerusalem wasn't the greatest trading center in the world, but it was a rich city. The list of items in verses 12 and 13 of our text reads like an ancient luxury catalog. Gold, silver, precious stones, marble, ivory, fine linen, silk, perfume, wine, chariots, an imitation of Ezekiel 27, verses 12 through 25. And the fact that human beings are sold as slaves, verse 13, which brings up the tale, uh, the, the end of that commodity list, shows the dehumanizing effect of all such ostentatious living. Revelation appropriates the older prophecy of Ezekiel in order to portray the utter completeness of Jerusalem's fall. Jesus prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem and the surrounding nation in Matthew 11:22 compares what was going to happen to them in the day of judgment to what will happen to Tyre. And Tyre comes out ahead. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre inside and in the day of judgment than for you, Jesus said. Each of these three groups of people stands at a distance because of the fear of Jerusalem's torment. Verse 10, 15, and 17. The picture is of someone who stands with their hand over their mouth, shocked, aghast, horrified with what's happening in this vision, with what they're witnessing. The kings and seafarers see her, the smoke of her burning. Verses 9 and 18 an image that has its origin in the destruction of Sodom, Genesis 19, verse 28, and the later 
metaphorical description of Edom's fall in Isaiah chapter 34 and verse 10. Each of these groups of people lament with the words, Woe, woe, the great city. Woe to Babylon, the strong city. Verse 10. Woe to the great city, luxuriously clothed and adorned with gold and precious stones. Verse 16. Woe to the great city by which sea traders had become rich. Verse 19. Each group laments the suddenness of Jerusalem's fall using the expression in one hour. In one hour your judgment has come, verse 10. In one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, verse 17. In one hour she's been laid waste, verse 19. Recall that in chapter 18 and verse 8, we read, in one day your plagues will come. And here, uh, the appointed time of judgment is further compressed from a day to an hour to show the suddenness with which God's judgment would fall upon Jerusalem. In striking contrast to these three groups who mourn over Jerusalem's fall, God's people are instructed by the angel to rejoice over fallen Jerusalem. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you saints and apostles and prophets. The celebration of judgment, like the hallelujahs of chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, is the exclamation of joy over the triumph of righteousness for which, you remember, the martyrs underneath the altar had prayed. Revelation 6, verse 10. The saints are to rejoice that their prayers have been answered. God, verse 20 says, has pronounced judgment for you against her. The judgment on the great harlot city, Jerusalem, brought God's retribution in double measure. We saw last week culminating in the last, uh, the last days of her war against Christ and his church. Luke's record of the Olivet Discourse to which we've so often Referred in Matthew 24, Mark 13, here in Luke 21, 22, Jesus said of Jerusalem's desolation, these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. God's rising up and taking vengeance on behalf of the saints, apostles, and prophets here in verse 20 serves to further cement the identification of Jerusalem as Babylon, the great harlot. So much then for reactions to Jerusalem's fall. Secondly, the finality 
of Jerusalem's fall in verses 21 to 24. In verse 21, the strong angels taking up a millstone and throwing it into the sea, symbolizing the casting down of Babylon, the great city, pronounces Jerusalem's fall in irrevocable terms. This image of the casting of the millstone into the sea is taken from uh, Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 63 to 64, where the prophet commands Sariah, uh, the quartermaster, to bind a stone to the book of woes of Babylon and cast it into the Euphrates and say, Just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise up because of the calamity that I'm going to bring on her. And what follows in Jeremiah 52 is a prophecy of the first fall of Jerusalem to Babylon in 586 B.C. So we contemplate uh, the angel's symbolic act here in verse 21. We should keep in mind Christ's prophetic words about what would happen to Jerusalem within one generation, within their own generation, in Matthew 11, verses 20 to 23. Sorry, Mark 11, verses 20 to uh, 23. This happened after uh, Christ was in the temple just so happens it was that occasion when Christ drove the money changers out of the temple and uh, we read in verse 19 when evening came they would go out of the city and as they were passing by in the morning coming back to the city they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. This is the fig tree that Jesus had cursed previously in the gospel narrative here. Being reminded Peter said to him, Rabbi, look at the fig tree. Uh, Rather, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. The withered fig tree, remember, was a picture of fruitless Israel and a sign of impending judgment upon her. The mountain that Jesus was talking about when he told his disciples, whoever believes that, that uh, this says to this mountain and believes in his heart that what he says is going to happen, uh, that it will be cast in the sea, uh, the, that mountain was the mountain that Jesus was standing on at the time, Mount Zion, uh, the city of the great king. Jesus had warned the Pharisees that the one who opposed the gospel and hindered his little ones from receiving it would be better off if he had a millstone hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Previously here in Mark verse. Uh, chapter 9, verse 42. 
And here in verse 21 of Revelation 18, in similar language, Jerusalem's destruction is symbolically portrayed and the finality of that destruction, the finality of its fall, is indicated by the words, it will not be found any longer. Now, how is that the case for Jerusalem? Certainly, uh, we can still find Jerusalem on the map today. How, how is it possible that fall, that, that fall is uh, irrevocable? Well, first, all of the nations were, uh, all of the nations, we, we're told here, um, that this forever act of, uh, of, of, of Israel, concerning Israel as a covenant people, uh, would affect their destiny forever. Uh, Jerusalem wasn't uh, destroyed forever geographically or, or physically any more than Old Testament prophecies that Babylon or Edom or Egypt meant that those places would be destroyed forever. Not in a physical sense. The forever desolation of Jerusalem means that Israel as a covenant people will cease to exist. Now, as Romans 11 clearly shows, the Jews will again be grafted into the natural tree, the natural olive tree, grafted back into the covenant again, the remnant of, of Israel. But they'll never again be a distinct, holy nation of priests. And certainly, Jerusalem is not in the sense that it was in the days of the old covenant church, the, the central place of worship. As a further indication of, of Israel's removal uh, 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 from their covenant status, the angel announces that the blessings of the covenant will be taken away from them, verses 22 and 23. First, there's a fourfold description of the loss of music throughout the land uh, to symbolize this removal of covenant blessings, sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And then there's a second fourfold description that forms a corresponding set of images depicting the loss of prosperity and joy. No craftsman, craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer, and the sound of the mill will not be heard in you any longer, and the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer, and the voice of the Bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. We saw this form of a covenant judgment in that section of Jeremiah's prophecy uh, that we read, chapter 7, and, uh, ch chapter 7, 34, 16, 9, and then 25, 10 that we read uh, earlier today. The desolation of Jerusalem is said to fall on her for two reasons. First, verse 23, all the nations were deceived by her sorcery. Now, what does that mean? How did 
Israel, how can it be said that Israel was, was that, that the nations of the world were deceived by her sorcery? Well, remember that Israel was to be a kingdom of priests to all nations. That it was incumbent upon Israel to offer sacrifices uh, and to pray and to call the nations to worship the one true God of heaven and earth, Jehovah. They were to bring the light of the divine light of glory to uh, the nations as God's spokesman. And that should have culminated in the presentation of Christ to all the nations. And yet, instead, they rejected the Messiah, they killed the Messiah, and they killed those who followed the Messiah, and they killed those who spoke to them about the Messiah. They persecuted them and murdered them. By attempting to retrain, uh, retain rather the formal structure of the Old Covenant and at the same time reject the New Covenant with its Messiah, Israel, essentially, as we have read in Revelation, created a hybrid religion. It was a religion of Satanism and statism, worshiping the beast from the sea of the Roman government, worshiping the great red dragon, Satan, whose agent... Uh, Rome was, was Satan's agent and becoming an agent of Satan themselves, uh, the, the, the beast from the land. And she was torn to pieces by her own gods. So in the first place, She was judged. She was treated as she was treated, the great harlot Jerusalem, because of her sorcery in deceiving the nations. And secondly, verse 24, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who had been slain on the land. This is a clear allusion to Christ's condemnation of Jerusalem at the close of his final discourse in the temple, Matthew 23, verses 34 through 37. Behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that upon you may fall the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. This last verse of chapter 18 provides a final clue to the great harlot's identity, confirming that she represents Jerusalem, which in turn represents apostate Israel. She had persecuted the church and inspired the Roman persecution of Christians. But the wrath that she had afflicted on Christ's beloved bride was now to be poured out upon her in double measure. Well, how does this judgment with its horrifying details, a judgment that took place in the first century, apply to us in the 21st century? What can this possibly mean for the church of Jesus Christ today? In an interview after his recent election as Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson said that if people want to know what he thinks about the issues of life and politics, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's my worldview, he said. If you want to know more specifically what your worldview ought to be, read the book of Revelation. This book teaches us what we should think about the church and its relationship to history. The Bible in general, and Revelation in particular, presents to us an eschatology of victory. That is, a forward-looking perspective of triumph. Not one of defeatism, but one of triumph. And if the church of Jesus Christ in our age is, is going to flourish as the church of the apostolic age flourished, the church today must recover the triumph, uh, this triumphic, uh, triumphic perspective of, of the early saints. The church must pray for her enemies' defeat, either by conversion, subduing his enemies and our enemies to himself, even as he subdued us to himself when we were enemies of the gospel, enemies of God, enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ, or subduing them by destruction. We are in a war a war in which the definitive victory has been won by our great King, Jesus Christ. The outcome of the war is already declared for us. Jesus, the great King, has won the victory. He is triumphant. Our opposition is doomed to perish, and the church is called to rejoice in the certain knowledge 
of her early uh, earthly vindication and ultimate triumph. And we are called as Christians to adopt this triumphalistic view and to minister out of that kind of worldview, not out of a view that things are all doom and gloom for the church, but latch on to the promises that God has given to the church of Jesus Christ. Latch on to those promises that he's given throughout the ages of the church, old and new, and live in those promises. Live your life in those promises and minister the gospel as saints of God called to participate in the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ and his victory. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we look to you and to, your, to the revelation that you've given us here. We would be those, O oh Lord, who adopt such a worldview. We would be those Christians who are spurred on to greater works by such uh, announcements of, of great victory, of triumph in your word, who see Christ resurrected, ascended, and exalted to the throne of heaven, ruling the world, and who is bringing about all his holy will in our day and our time. And we would be those, O oh Lord, who would pray as, as you have taught us to pray in the Psalms. And as you teach us to pray according to this, uh, to the worldview of the Bible in general and Revelation in particular, according to this eschatology of victory, to this forward-looking perspective of triumph for Christ, and for his church. Wake us up, O oh God, to the reality uh, that we're being presented with here in Revelation and cause us to go forth in the power of Christ, his resurrection and exaltation, to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.